for as long as there has been leadership, there have been barriers to leadership. Discrimination has been disturbingly common throughout the recent history of our society. For someone growing up in the Deep South during a segregated society in the late 1950s and early 60s, it was nearly impossible for both females and people of color to advance in any field. 60 years later, equality is still a struggle for women in society. These rallies, such as the Black Lives Matter movement or the Women's Rights March, have gotten great attention and are becoming a more and more discussed topic among politicians and the media. But despite this movement, leaders continue to face adversity simply due to prejudice. A major power in the world, perhaps the major power in the world, uh, in the Western world, we are way behind other countries that have had leadership from women. The world is becoming more and more diverse every day, but there was a time when this was not the case. However, there were some, like Janet Hill, who despite adversity, were able to grow successful in a male-dominated field. We talked to her about how leaders can deal with and overcome discrimination, and how do those who have been historically dispossessed of power can rise into positions of influence. My name is Nico Adamo, and this is The Outspoken Leader. Janet Hill has been a leader in her field for over 30 years. As a result of her natural talent and unending work ethic, throughout her career she has risen to prominence in the military, mathematics, corporate advisory positions, and higher education. Working in the hectic political landscape of Washington, D.C., she found time to raise a successful son, Grant Hill, who went on to play professional basketball and is a leader in and of himself. Her husband played professional football and continues to be a key advisor in the NFL today. We asked her to encapsulate her career in a short elevator speech. Well, for 30 years, I owned and operated a management consulting firm until I sold it. And that firm was involved in helping major corporations attract women and minorities into senior jobs. So it was a lot of people use the word diversity. I use the word inclusion. And it was really helping major companies to achieve inclusion in their senior ranks of the uh, firms that I worked for. But this climb up the career ladder was anything but easy. Janet Hill was born in New Orleans in the 50s when segregation ran rampant in the South. The streets of New Orleans diced the city into all white and all black pieces, forcing many African American families into cramped, dilapidated housing. A statement of the NAACP in the Louisiana Weekly asserted that segregation was a modernized, streamlined slavery that replaces ankle irons with four white-only signs. Clearly, New Orleans during this time was at the epicenter of America's segregated society, and Miss Hill lived it day in and day out. As a result, she had to grow up learning to excel in an environment built to put her down. Communities throughout the state of Louisiana during this time had established a tradition of deep-seated discrimination. Restaurants, schools, libraries, businesses, and public spaces were all quite literally black or white, and facilities for African Americans were severely underfunded and oftentimes unmaintained. And these barriers were not just social. In Janet Hill's case, segregation manifested itself geographically. So as a black female... I had, the first thing I'll tell you is I never met anybody white in New Orleans. Uh, in fact, I never met anyone white at all until I got to Wellesley College in 1965. 
Due to this deep segregation in every facet of her life, Mrs. Hill had to seek role models in the community leaders around her. One of the most impactful leaders to her was Andrew Young, an early leader in the civil rights movement who went on to become mayor of Atlanta. I got the idea that I have never done anything in my life as much as this man did in the 60s to uh, erase segregation in the South and to uh, put in place the civil rights law of 1965, which changed the fabric of America. Despite an abundance of leadership traits showing themselves from the very beginning and a role model to learn from, Mrs. Hill's life experience was still drastically limited by the community she grew up in. Segregation was not just a problem of discrimination, but one of separation, not allowing African Americans the opportunity to work with white people. But after she went to Wellesley College, Mrs. Hill was able to find opportunities in the North that simply did not exist in her hometown. She got the opportunity to work in Washington, D.C. as a primary advisor to the Secretary of the Army, Clifford Alexander, Jr. I was writing speeches. I was uh, researching materials as he uh, prepared to fight for Army funding on Capitol Hill. I was, I was really an overall assistant and involved in making recommendations related to every single decision he made. His decisions had mostly to do with the people in the Army, our weaponry and materials and equipment and weaponry, trying to align it with our uh, allies and uh, deployment of troops when they were deployed, although that decision was made in conjunction with the Secretary of Defense and the President, who was President Carter. Here in D.C., Janet Hill found a striking contrast to New Orleans. Secretary Alexander, the first African-American Secretary of the Army, was a longtime campaigner for equal rights and diversity and applied this ideology in the workplace. As a result, in the traditionally chaotic political landscape of D.C., Mrs. Hill was able to find safe haven. I didn't experience that, largely because the Secretary of the Army, an African-American man, himself a lawyer, went to Harvard, then to Yale Law School, had spent his adult life in pursuit of equity in the workplace for men and women and minorities. So he had a very progressive idea about women that few men had at that time, few men have today. A specific example of this progressiveness is Secretary Alexander's view on maternity leave. Even in today's workplace environment of equality, many people still see maternity leave as a break, even a vacation. But Secretary Alexander was different, choosing not to discount the four years Janet Hill took to raise her child. He looked at my resume and he saw that after college, graduate school, I then spent four years at home taking care of my son. He did not discount those four years as, well, you were doing nothing. Clifford Alexander spent his life dedicated to the goal Janet Hill now pursues, which is equality and diversity in the workplace. But campaigning against hundreds of years of prejudice and assumptions is never easy, and oftentimes businesses find it more convenient to sweep discrimination under the rug. Mrs. Hill's experience in D.C. played a major role in shaping her opinion on diversity or inclusion in leadership. So we talked to her about how one balances inclusivity and efficiency. In other words, what is the role of diversity in the workplace and in leadership? The balancing of inclusivity and efficiency 
begins with education. The way in which young children are taught in our current day and age segregates boys and girls in a similar fashion to the separation of Jim Crow, only on a less oppressive scale. Boys and girls are predetermined to liking certain aspects of analysis or creativity. However, looking at students not as boys and girls, but as individuals, it becomes clear that they can have a proclivity for both, the prime example being Janet Hill. Well, I think sometimes it's been conditioning uh, by teachers and parents at a young age where, again, especially girls are, you know, I don't know which side is the left brain and the, the right brain, but whatever side of that brain is your creative side, I think girls are kind of pushed into that, the creative side of their brain. Mm -hmm. And boys, on the other hand, are pushed into the analytical side of their brain. Janet Hill's ability to defy these stereotypes were instilled by her father, Malcolm McDonald. He constantly encouraged his daughter and allowed for the appropriate environment for her ability to excel with her natural-born analytical skills. Uh, they also pushed me into analytical studies. And I don't know if it was my father doing so because I was the boy he didn't have. I'm not sure. But uh, that said, I... Uh, I'm, I, I very much am a person who is more analytical than creative. And I know my strengths, but I know my weaknesses also. Janet Hill's father, in helping her reach prominence within STEM, defied stereotypes of women in leadership positions. But sadly, this story is not commonplace in America. Women and minorities are grossly underrepresented in leadership roles, with women currently representing only 24% of members of Congress, and women of color representing less than 9%. Such a scarcity, however, is not natural, but societal, as evidenced by the great strides that other countries have made in this regard. Well, I mean, I think for a major, a major power in the world, perhaps the major power in the world, uh, in the Western world, we are way behind other countries that have had leadership from women. Uh, Great Britain, more than once, uh, Germany, and, and other countries too. Even developing countries like Brazil have had female leadership, and we haven't. So it's an, an anachronism. Uh, you can look the word up if you don't know what it means, but uh, it's old-fashioned. It's a 1950s idea that only men can lead this government. That is ridiculous. We have had great leaders in this country, and we have had some, if I may use the street vernacular, piss poor ones. I'm not going to name which ones are which. You can fill in the blanks. Janet Hill gives a very simple solution to the problem of underrepresentation, treating all people fairly and equally. But this is easier said than done. To re-educate an entire generation who, in some cases, have been indoctrinated with prejudice from their childhood. So the very first step is understanding. Through her upbringing, Janet Hill has gained this understanding and acquired leadership traits that have taught her that looking out for everyone is the first priority of a leader. Obviously, I, I, I came from a segregated environment. I went to an all-girls elite college. But then the rest of my life has been both integrated not only in terms of men and women, but in terms of minorities and non-minorities. I've always tried to be fair and even 
because I, I, I firmly believe that leaders are people who can see the big picture and who care about everybody. And while teaching leaders to see people inclusively and without prejudice is a monumental task, Mrs. Hill believes it is achievable. In her own experience, Mrs. Hill has seen many women and minorities showing more and more interest in public sector work, working not only to become leaders themselves, but to change and enact policy to make sure non-discrimination is an integral part of any leadership teaching. And this sort of education will ensure that however bleak the present is, the future is a place of guaranteed equality among leaders. Well, I think it's bright. Uh, Listen, the country has a lot of uh, individuals who are women and minorities who are already in local, state, uh, and federal positions uh, in government. They're interested in public service. I am never a person to discourage anybody from public service because if we discourage smart, aggressive people from going into public service, then we are stuck with the kind of people who are running the government today. Traditional gender roles dictate a very prescribed role for women as the primary caregiver rather than someone with a significant career. However, just as she did in pursuit of a career in mathematics, Janet Hill has broken through the glass ceiling and showed the two roles to be compatible. While working in D.C. as the primary advisor to the presidentially appointed Secretary of the Army, she still found time to raise her son, Grant Hill. Grant's incredible success in professional basketball can be credited to Mrs. Hill's strict belief in hard work, passed to her by her parents. She spoke with us about her experience working in D.C. while also parenting Grant. I was able to supervise Grant every single day while I was at the Pentagon. And uh, he had some, he had an adult with him at home, but he would come home every day and call me. And I would actually walk out of meetings in the Pentagon to speak to him on my phone in my office. Frequent travel made it difficult to balance work and home life. Drawing on her experience, Mrs. Hill offers advice for working parents. The first thing is not to get caught up in guilt. I can't tell you the number of 20-somethings or 30-somethings, even 40-somethings, who tell me how guilty they feel that they are working for the bank or they're working for Wendy's and they can't be at their son's soccer game. Janet Hill was a successful parent, but like parenting abilities, there is some debate as to whether leadership is a skill you are born with or if it is learned through time and experience. When we asked Miss Hill's perspective on whether leaders are born or made, her answer suggested a combination of the two. While some are born with inherent leadership abilities, it takes a lifetime of experience in order to forge true leaders. Once again, mention my own uh, 11-year-old granddaughter who is clearly the leader of her soccer team. And she's bossy and, um, you know, gets her way. Now, there's nothing I see in her at 11 that would predict to me that when she's 33, we'll say, that uh, she'll be a leader of young women or of young women and young men. Maybe, maybe not. So I, I think it's a good experience she's going through now. And apparently the team follows her. And, and so that part is good. It's not necessarily a harbinger of the future. 
a lot of things positive have got to happen to her between now and then. So I think leaders evolve over time. You know, great leaders have some kind of strength of character. Character may be integral to leadership, but Mrs. Hill's answer suggests a melting pot of leadership characteristics. We asked her what else is crucial to create strong leaders. They know who they are. They don't try to be what they're not. They keep the big picture in mind. They try to be inclusive in, uh, in terms of uh, who they will help. I don't think anyone who segregates in their mind, but there are people who will say, I, I don't care about black people. I don't care about, care about Hispanics and I don't care about Asians. And I don't care about anyone who isn't from North Carolina. Janet Hill knows that a good leader could never think that way. She views good leadership and inclusivity as one and the same. Diversity is integral to leadership because discrimination is inherently limiting. As a leader, you have a responsibility to use the extent of the resources available to you to achieve your vision. The abilities of a leader are measured by the strength of their followers, and discrimination, by definition, limits not only the size of your followers, but the variety of their perspectives. A good leader is not a leader of a particular gender, or a leader of a particular race. A good leader is a leader of people. We'd like to thank Janet Hill for her time and her immeasurable contribution towards diversity and leadership. My name is Nico Adamo, and this has been The Outspoken Leader. <laughs>